general nerdery. Patient notes. Tyler Rees and Zach Johnson. Case file 05232020. Observations by Dr. Jeremiah Arkham, head of staff, Arkham Asylum. Residents Rees and Johnson, the self-proclaimed generals of nerdery, have experienced a break from reality and believe themselves hosts of a podcast about liking things. While considered low risk of escape or violence, continual monitoring is recommended. That was the, our best intro yet. <laughs> <laughs> I thought of that at work, and I was just like, I have to do this. It, it's, it's the only option. That also sounded like more work than I've done in like a month. That, yeah, that's okay. You do all the research stuff. I just sit there at work and be like, while moving boxes, like, what What would be a dumb way to start a thing? Uh, no, Anyways. that was awesome. Thank you. Hi, uh, guys. Welcome to General Nerdery. Uh, as approached, we are apparently your generals of nerdery. I'm Zach. I'm Tyler. And as you may have gathered here, we're here today to talk to you about Way too many Batman villains in way too short of a period to cover them all. Yeah, but they're a lot of fun. So we're going to see where this goes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited, uh, however it turns out. <laughs> but before we jump to your second listicle in a row, Tyler, what have you been ingesting this week? Uh, <laughs> so we're recording on an off day again. Again, that's my fault. Well, that's my apartment's fault. But I'm really glad for it this time, because otherwise my what what am I ingesting was going to be just pure morbid all the way through. Oh, good. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to list four things, and the first two are super morbid, and I'm going to try to get through them very quickly. But I will understand if somebody, especially with the first one I'm going to name, just wants to maybe hit like skip 30 seconds or a minute right now. Well, I'm now more and more curious. Uh, so number one is I discovered just how fun and addicting and how much kind of one more turnish the game Plague Inc. can be. Oh my god. Oh, I love Plague Inc. I played way too much of that way back in the day. <laughs> uh, I never had. And so, of course, I pick it up during a pandemic. Oh, yeah. I thought about it, but they charge you now. It used to be free for, like, everything. Uh, yeah, I got the Plague Inc. Uh, evolved, so all the DLCs and stuff, too. And... Nice. I'm being cheap when I say that. I really do want to just sit down and it's, what, like, 10 bucks, 20 bucks? Uh, I think I got it for 15 on Xbox Live. All right, close enough, yeah. It is well worth $15. Oh, 100%. Uh, super morbid for this time period. <laughs> but yes, you are not wrong. Apparently, I don't know what came first. They also did a board game that is Pandemic, because I want to say it's the same company that did both of them. Oh, is it really? I, I'd have to look into I, that more. I, I actually own not, Pandemic. Do not quote me on that one. I am probably speaking out of my ass, because as we mentioned, I did not do any research. Right. <laughs> okay, so number two. Also super fucking morbid, but I have to mention it considering it ate up so many hours of my week. Um, I watched the Lars von Trier film, The House That Jack Built, and it is amazing, but I say it's amazing because <clears throat> I already host a horror movie podcast. 
Uh, it's a movie where Matt Dillon, in a very super, super arty way, is a serial killer who considers what he's doing is art and is trying to argue his viewpoint to the Roman pro- poet Virgil as he's escorted through hell. Okay. Um. <laughs> yeah, I don't. That sounds very you. That's all I got here. That sounds well, very you. I was about to say, you can already, uh, you know, back up the fact that I already have Inferno-themed artwork on my wall, so. Oh, yeah. Kind of right up my alley. Uh, but then the last two are a little bit more in line with everything else. Um, Thank Christ. Due to the fact that they announced when the second season of Doom Patrol is going to drop, which is the day before my birthday, which is amazing. Uh, or I think it, that's when it's going to start. I don't think they're doing it all at once. Uh, I'm going to finally start finishing the Grant Morrison run. Nice. When is when is that dropping? Uh, June 25th. Oh, perfect. Um, so I finally started in on the second story arc. I can't remember what its name is, but that's the one with... Uh, Mr. Nobody and the Brotherhood of Dada first start popping up. That gets weird. I mean, like, I know it's Doom (laughs) Patrol, so everything is weird. (laughs) But man, that's when it goes right off the deep end. Yeah, I'm pretty excited for that. Um, And the other thing is, I am now two episodes into the seventh season of Letterkenny. There's, what, eight seasons total? Yep. I think season seven is probably the weakest season. I mean, it's not bad, mm-hmm. but yeah, it, it takes a definite upturn next season, which is nice. Uh, right before season seven, the Valentine's Day special, I thought was astoundingly good. So, Oh, yeah. When I say it gets bad, I still think it's one of the best sitcoms I've ever seen. So, like, it's... Oh no, it's a B instead of an A. Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> But I've been just burning through a shit ton of that, so it's super easy when there's only six episodes a season and they're like twenty three minutes long. It is I think I watched the first seven seasons, because the eighth season hadn't come out yet when I first started watching. In a week. I think I just watched like a season a day basically. Nice. Yeah, and I didn't do anything else that week, so, you know, there's <laughs> upsides and downsides, but... And I I can already, I already know what I'm going to be doing across this next week, because they're dropping some Mortal Kombat DLC, so... Yeah, that's... that's Goodbye, Tyler. It was nice seeing you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Except only seeing you at work, because, you know... Anyways, what have I been doing? I... I discovered on Audible... That apparently, I, I knew there were Star Trek novels. Mm-hmm. I did not realize how intense the Star Trek novels got. Uh, it, it recommended one from a series called Star Trek Prey. I'm now halfway through the second in this trilogy, all called Star Trek Prey. And it led me to looking these up. And like, I knew Star Wars had the expanded universe comics, yada, yada, yada. And I knew Star Trek had that too. I did not know how, as I said, intense it was. Apparently, after Enterprise ended, they launched, like, five or six different novel, like, ongoing series. So, like, Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, 
uh, one called Titan, which is the ship that Riker takes over at the end of Nemesis. Mm. Uh, a, a couple of other ones. And they they ran for like 15 years, intercrossing huge, like, gigantic wars. Stuff they could not do on the TV show. Okay. And when these came out, the, the Prey series I'm listening to was for the Star Trek 50th anniversary, which was a couple years back, uh, before Discovery came out. Mm-hmm. Honestly, they bungled the 50th anniversary. Like, that's a huge thing. And they didn't have any new media other than a couple of books, which I'm enjoying. They're, as a fan of Star Trek, they're very good books. But, like... But maybe not quite what should have been done for the 50th? Yes. You know, Doctor Who had their 50th, and it was a huge freaking episode that tied in all sorts of stuff. It was amazing. This one, here's a couple of novels. <laughs> I enjoy them. But, like, yeah, anyways, I'm uh, starting to fall into the deep end of the pool of the craziness that is the Star Trek expanded universe, for lack of a better term. Hmm. Uh, and then what else was it? Oh, oh. I discovered it through last week's night with John Oliver. Jelly's Marble Racing and Marble Olympics oh. on YouTube. Okay. Uh, what? <laughs> yes. First of all, if you haven't seen it, I, I mean, I religiously watched last week, so I'm, I'm a huge fan. But his most recent episode was on sports and how sports have been fucked in the age of Corona. And he was talking about how people are finding other things, other sports to watch, mm. like Russian slapping competitions, which is apparently a thing. I've seen some of those videos. Those are pretty entertaining. There is also, this is from the Netherlands, Jelly's Marble Racing. Jelly is spelled like J-E-L-L-E. -L -L -E. Okay. And this guy has made a league of marbles, and each there's like teams, and all the teams have different like colors and themes. And then he just does using like connects and Legos and stuff, huge races, like 10 course tracks or a whole Olympic events, and he'll like simulate uh, crowds watching and like they'll live stream the thing, and people will like get really into the competitions, and you end up kind of inevitably, like, all team sports things. Everyone picks, like, their teams. Mine are the Thunderbolts. <laughs> they're little blue and yellow, and they're really bad, so apparently I'm a proper sports fan now. <laughs> uh, and, like, not only do all the teams have names, but all the little marbles have individual names, and, like, one of the marbles got chipped in one of the Olympic things, and, like, they did medical checkups on him, and there's a whole... Wikipedia that includes like the history of the different marbles and how the teams met and it's it's bizarre. Wow. But it's hypnotic. Uh and John Oliver, like they were like, we don't know if we can keep doing this because it does cost money to do this and we don't have funding. And so last week tonight funded their entire season this year. Oh wow. That's really cool. <laughs> and then talked about them on one of the most popular shows on TV. <laughs> like, um, and it's, as I said, it's really weird. But I looked it up, and the origins are, there was, I, I do not remember his name. His last name is Jell, Jelly, however you pronounce that. Mm -hmm. 
but he has to deal with autism and can't work because of it. But he got really into making marble racing tracks. Mm. And he developed this entire world and now has like over 600,000 people following his YouTube page. Makes a living making cool marble racing tracks out of Kinects and Legos. Wow. Yeah. I'm uh, so going to have to check that out. <laughs> if you like sports or if you just like weird, which is what got me into it. It's fun. It is low stakes. It's what I'll put on before bed, mm. like that last half hour, and I'm like, oh, I just need to like de-stress from the day. I'll watch the Thunderbolts get their ass kicked. <laughs> Seriously, my team is not good. <laughs> <laughs> I I understand that feeling, having been a sports fan most of my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Having been a Raiders fan for the past decade. <laughs> they, they sell shirts and stuff, and I was like, well, okay, one, amazing, and I need it now. But two, why do you not sell jerseys? <laughs> Jer- I would super, it'd be the first time in my life I would ever have bought a jersey. Well, maybe now they will. I mean, we know they yeah, listen. I gotta, I, Avid listeners. Oh, obviously, everyone listens to us, man. It's us. <laughs> God, I'm sorry. <laughs> Anyways, that's what I got. That's awesome. I'm going to be checking that out tonight. <laughs> oh, yeah. Me too. I have the uh, 2019, uh, I want to say Paris race, set up for once I'm done here. Awesome. Um, with Should we get into the news? Yeah, let's have some news. Thin news day. Uh, there was probably a lot more I could have brought up, but we already mentioned it. It's another off day. We'll, we'll get back to a full news at some point. Uh, we always say like, oh, we'll do a short news day on our off days just to make it easier. And then these episodes always end up like the longest ones we make. Well, I only have four things written down this time. And two of them are like, literally what we do in the shadows has been renewed for season three. There we go. That's, That's one. By the time this episode is out, if you go to Disney+, Plus, The Simpsons will have been restored to its proper 4 to 3 aspect ratio, restoring some of the sight gags in like the first 10 seasons. Oh yeah, I remember you telling me about this. You were really bothered by it. It was, well, not bothered. It was just kind of a bummer, because, I don't know, you don't get all the jokes. You know what I Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> um... And especially in those early seasons when some of the, the stronger comedy seasons ever on TV, really. Mm-hmm. Well, and all the more impressive because everything was still hand-drawn back then, so the amount of, like, sight gags and stuff that they put in there is, is even more impressive to me because there's one poor guy just having to, like, draw. Well, not one poor guy, but... Let's see. So now here's the two bigger ones that I was going to cover. I know that there was something you wanted to bring up from Star Trek, right? Mm. Uh, A new Star Trek series has been announced following the adventures of Captain Pike, who was played by Anson Mount on season two of Discovery. He was one of the better parts of Discovery, and I'm one of the people that really enjoyed Discovery. Mm. Um, Pike was the original captain in the first pilot of the original Star Trek series. Right. But that pilot didn't lead to an ongoing series, 
but it somehow led to like, well, we'll let you make another pilot. We'll give you another shot, which is super rare. But the actor who had played Pike decided that he didn't want to do it after all. So they replaced him with William Shatner and Captain Kirk and uh, ended up bringing in an almost entirely new cast, except for Leonard Nimoy as Spock, who was the only one who was in both of them. And in a really interesting move, they instead of just like pretending that the original pilot didn't exist, they just time skipped forward like 10 years. Hmm. And where like, Pike was the captain of the Enterprise before Kirk. So Strange New Worlds is following the adventures of the Enterprise before Kirk became the captain. Okay. That could be pretty interesting. Yeah. Uh, they have announced that they plan it to be much more episodic and kind of exploration hopeful than the more recent Star Trek series have been. Because both Discovery and Picard are extremely good, but they are not episodic at all, which is a classic Star Trek move. You know, this week we're at this planet. And they both are dark as fuck. <laughs> and it's a little off-putting to some Star Trek fans. And I mean, it's fans on the internet. They're going to find another reason to bitch anyways. But uh, they're promising to capture some of the more classic Star Trek feel, which will be nice because more Star Trek for me. Right. <laughs> uh, depending on what I hear, I, I might give it a show. Yeah. Might, might give it a go. Uh, I mean, it's going to be on CBS All Access, So, but they're putting out enough Trek series at this point that I might have to just bite the bullet and get All Access. Mm -hmm. All right, so <laughs> Ruby Rose is leaving Batwoman. I was reading about this. The answer she gave of why was super fucking vague. Uh, Basically like, yes, I am leaving. Thanks. Bye. Yeah, I'm super appreciative. But I'm going, it's been a hard decision. Uh, the rumors are because of how dangerous it might be on set. <laughs> and she's already sustained injuries, and other people have sustained injuries, and it's been uh, kind of rough and just maybe sounds like she was a little bit more than she thought she was getting herself into for this. Well, that's super disappointing if it turns out to be the case. Just because you want your set to be safe. Mm-hmm. I get that, like, it's an action series, stuff happens, stunts are dangerous. But Hollywood needs to take more time to take care of its cast and crew and be safe if you're going to do the weird stunts. So if it's because of that, that's super disappointing. I had assumed it was because people were being a dick to her on the internet. I mean... And I would not I, have blamed her. I'm sure that that played into it just you know being in the role is hard enough anyway uh when it's coming at you from all angles emotional as well as physical but um uh, mm -hmm. like she what was it i think she like herniated two discs while on set and was risking becoming Whoa. paralyzed yeah i'd quit too however the the cw had already announced that Next year's crossover is going to be uh, Batwoman with uh, Superman, Lois Lane, whatever they're calling that show. I can't remember. I think it's literally Lois Lane and Superman or Superman and Lois. 
So Batwoman's going to be recast. Yeah, they've already announced a season two. Mm-hmm. Uh, I talked to this with my friend who actually keeps up with Batwoman. I've only seen her in uh, uh, Crisis, which we've talked about. I enjoyed her in the role. I watched the first five or six episodes. Uh, it was good. It wasn't enough to like keep me coming back as one of my mainstays every week, but I was very much intending to get caught up on it very soon. I cause... hear the first season was super freaking choppy. And that it had improved as time went on. And I knew they introduced Hush, who... That's kind of what... Not going... I saw a screenshot of Hush, and I'm like, oh shit, well, you got me. <laughs> Fitting, we're not going to talk about Hush in this episode. But I will say he's one of my all-time favorite Batman villains. Agreed. Uh, he's what got me back into comics when I was like 15. That and there was a dead Robin on the cover. It was a great Jim Lee cover with, like, a skeleton wearing a Robin. Anyways. Mm. Anyway, we'll save that for the other Batman listicle episode we've talked about someday. <laughs> uh, I wish her well. As I said, my friend who I talked to didn't think she was a great actress. I don't... I have heard that a lot. I don't have enough to give an opinion. Um, I never trust it when they recast a main character. Especially the main character. But it is what it is. I've already seen a lot of online support for them to cast. Uh, I can't think of her name. She played um, Black Canary's daughter in Bird of, Birds of Prey. She was playing the bad guy all this season. She was Alice. Wait, do they just want Alice to take over as Batwoman instead of Kathy Kane? Mm-hmm. Or, or basically have the, her play both roles. No, I don't know if I would go that route, but that, I mean, it's interesting. Wait, that's the young girl from Birds of Prey? Yeah. Oh my god, I, I remember watching that show. It's not good. Um, <laughs> I'm going to make sure, on, I'm going to look it up real quick. I'm going to use the, the fact that I have the internet in front of me. Oh my god. Yeah, Rachel Scarston is already playing Beth Kane, who is supposed to be her presumed dead twin sister. So just have her play both the twins is what people are throwing out. Uh, she played Dinah Lance on Birds of Prey. Yep. Oh my god, I'm looking her up. That's her. That's... <laughs> what an interesting career you must have had. Huh. Uh, however, it's probably not going to go that way because I believe Berla Berlanti has already said that he intends to cast another LGBTQ actress to, to play. I think that's a good choice. And I think that that means way less work and awkward CGI moments when the two characters have to speak to each other. Agreed. Although I understand the fan support behind that idea, because it would be a pretty neat idea. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if they had done more effort to make them, like, identical twins, I would have been way more into the idea. Mm -hmm. But they made no effort to make the two of them look the same. So it would be really jarring if suddenly they were like, yep, nope, they were always identical. What are you talking about? And I know the other big piece of news you're not as interested in, but it's still insane in its own way. Uh, we're getting the fucking Snyder cut. I have thoughts. Hold on. Yeah. <laughs> it is not that I am not 
interested. It's that I worry that it's going to be way overhyped. I mean, it's guaranteed to be way overhyped. I've only seen a couple of Snyder movies, and none of them are very good. I enjoyed 300. I enjoyed Man of Steel. I even enjoyed the one, I don't even remember what it's called, about the girls in the insane asylum. Oh, uh, Sucker Punch. Yeah, it was fun. I did not regret that hour and a half or two hours or whatever it was of my life. But I'm not going in being like, this man is an auteur. <laughs> so people are like, oh, release the Snyder Cut. We'll see what it's supposed to be. It'll save the franchise. Why would you think that? Man of Steel did not launch an amazing franchise. It did not save the franchise. It was, again, not a very good movie. So I do not trust this either to be a very good movie. But I'm also curious to see what happened before Joss Whedon and WB slashed and burned everything that he had made. Yeah. I'm a little bit more excited. I follow Snyder a little bit cl more closely. I will agree his movies aren't that great. I have long said that he should probably just be either part of a directing duo or the director of photography with the most freedom in all of Hollywood. I could get behind that. He does visually great movies. A lot of times I have major questions about some of his plot decisions. Uh, yeah. Now, that being said, um, anytime one of his movies has gotten a director's cut, it has been immensely better. So getting to see his vision in full, I'm excited for. Um, part of the problem with Justice League in the first place was it completely dropped some of the thematic elements he had been building through the first few films. So it might actually make some of it make more sense. And I, I've always been kind of pro Snyder Cut, but I was never pro to the point where I was going and like, Hashtag release the fucking Snyder Cut on the internet and shit. Just, I, I've I mean, seen not... I've seen the guy's works. I, I know that they're usually improved when he gets to do his entire vision. B but I always, from a more realistic angle, thought that if we ever got it, it was going to be like a bonus on a special edition Blu-ray in the future where not we're going to invest another 20 million dollars in this exactly that's the big <laughs> takeaway from this they're going to be spending another 20 to 30 million dollars on this that um, is insane it might not even be a movie they might release it as a miniseries from what what's been said um it's you still pretty Th up there in the are air. worse ideas than that and i also also should note i am excited for snyder specifically in this mm-hmm because Snyder dropped out because I want to say his his daughter died or something like that. Um, his daughter uh, very tragically committed suicide. Yeah. And he stepped down because he's like, I can't do this movie right now. Which is super 100% fair. Mm -hmm. Behind you, man. You do what you need to heal. And so I, could, I, I am glad that he got to a point where he felt he could do this. I'm glad that people let him do this. And I bet that it is an accomplishment of, like, healing to get to have this experience. All of those are great. As I said, I'm not really against the center cut. I just don't have great expectations for it. Um, 
I'm just blown away that I'm going to end up getting to see a version that isn't animatics, because that's all I ever held out for. But 20 to 30 million more? What the shit? We're going to be getting Darkseid? That's the part I'm excited about. Love me some Darkseid. Yeah, Ray Porter playing Darkseid. Um, and who knows what else? I don't know. I'm, it doesn't... I'm just blown away that it's going to happen. It the chances of another justice league film happening like if this does even remotely well although i'll be super fascinated to see how they work the robert pattinson batman in if they do that i'm wondering if it's even going to end up being his original version or if some of that 20 to 30 million is so that he can retool the ending of whatever his vision was just enough so that they could kind of close the book on this chapter of all of them trying to do this in the first place, even though we know that there's going to be an Aquaman and a Wonder Woman coming up still. I think I would, I think you could do something weird enough to still be like, but now this is closed. These two just somehow are going to go on and we'll see what happens, but this is done. I would still like a good justice league movie. I think it can be done. And I think several of the actors that they had were good choices. And I think Robert Pattinson's going to be a lot of fun as a Batman. So I have no problems with the idea of another Justice League movie. I mean, post-Snyder Cut. I just... I am so curious to see how this is all going to come together. Because DC... I mean, they didn't shut down, but they went way more small-scale after this movie came out. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but that might be paying off. I, uh, we were talking a little bit right before the show, and this isn't, like, super big pieces of news, but the most digitally rented movie this past week was Harley Quinn and the Birds of Prey. Well, I'm excited about that, because it's shutting people up, or hopefully it's shutting people up when they're like, this movie was a failure. No, it wasn't. We did an entire episode on this. You do not need me to cover it again, but... It sounds like we are moving beyond just, oh, this did really well in the theaters of judging how well a movie does anymore. And number two was Bloodshot. I am confused by that one, but I also am probably going to rent it and see it soon. So, (laughs) you know. (laughs) I agree. Yeah. Especially after we were talking so much Valiant, I'm going to have to watch that movie. Not that I wasn't going to anyway, but fuck. (laughs) The, the Shadow Man comics I ordered are starting to come in on the mail. Like, one of them came in today. Ooh. And, of course, it's volume four, so I have to wait for two and three to get in still. But, like, <laughs> yes. That's Give fun. me that edgelord. That's fun. Uh, that's all I got. All right. Let's take a quick break. And then let's dive into the notes of Arkham Asylum. Yeah, grab them by the listicles. So this might be the most, like, pull a topic out of our ass topic that we've ever done. It was just like, oh, God, oh, God, we don't know what we're doing in a couple of days. And it turned out that we didn't record for another week anyways, because, again, off day. But uh, Batman villains. Great. Yes. Awesome. And it works great because Batman has is his villain gallery is one of the two greatest villain galleries in comic dumb. Generally accepted. With the other being... Spider-Man, uh, who I kind of prefer, but 
I would very much argue that Batman wouldn't be such a success, successful character without his rogues gallery. We know this because we have seen so many uh, street-level vigilante characters. Some of them with cooler costumes than Batman, if we're being honest. Mm-hmm. Who are not as successful. Some of them just a... kind of cooler than Batman. I'm looking at you, Midnighter. <laughs> Midnighter is significantly... But he doesn't have a great villain. He doesn't have a villain's gallery. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. The, 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 we were like, oh, God, we need to talk about Batman's villains. Oh, God, there are so many villains. How do we do this? And the answer we came up with was we were going to cover the big movie ones. And then we added on two characters at the end. Uh, but because of this, we have 13 villains <laughs> to get through. Because, damn, there's been a lot of Batman movies. That's true. And this is just... I just started looking at villains who have appeared since... Uh, the the Tim Burton Batman films, but that's still one, two, three, four, five, like nine movies in the last thirty years. Mm -hmm. So none of these characters are going to get the time that they deserve, which is fine. That leads to future episodes. <laughs> but we did warn you this was going to be a listicle episode, and no listicle ever has given anything the time it deserves. Also true. Also true. But I will try to have some fun bit of him, like a little bit of trivia and all this, and we will give the proper credit to the creators for each one of these. Uh, I, I've got my order here, so I guess let's start with the Joker. Joker was created by Bob Kane, Bill Finger, and Jerry Robinson, and first appeared in Batman issue one. I mean, you don't even have to be a geek or a nerd to know the Joker, especially now that the Joaquin Phoenix movie's out. Oh, yeah. Uh, we've already talked about the Joker several times because you can't talk about nerd stuff without talking about the Joker. I mean, we've done our, like, favorite Joker lists. We both know it's Mark Hamill. That's fine. That's great. That's fine. Yeah. I really actually like the Joker. I do not necessarily like Joker fans. Ooh, yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. <laughs> Anyone that goes, you know, I really relate to the Joker... First off, no, Please you don't. Please talk to someone. <laughs> Please talk to someone who can help. We care about you, and that is not a healthy outlook. I do love about the Joker, he was written to be a one-off character. He was not originally intended to be occurring, and he died in his first story. Mm -hmm. But the, uh, they had already created the character of Hugo Strange, who is another one that we will not be talking about in this episode, to be like the big Batman Moriarty character. And he was, I mean, Hugo Strange had a story like last year, so he still is definitely a thing, but he never clicked in the same way because he was basically just directly ripping off Moriarty. And the editor at the time like, saw, you know, the Joker's dead, and he's being taken off in an ambulance to the morgue at the very end. And he's, like, writes a note being like, you have to save this guy. You cannot kill him. But they didn't have time to rewrite the ending, so they literally just added a word bubble in the final panel of someone in the ambulance going, my god, he's still alive! <laughs> hey, that works. Famous, the most famous villain in all of comics history, probably was born 
again. <laughs> I yeah, I I can't think of any more iconic villain. Maybe Lex Luthor, but honestly, the Joker pops more. Yep. My only thing on Joker is I think that they need to retire the character for like three or four years. I think I've talked about this before. In 2012, when they launched the new 52, the very first issue of Detective Comics, they had the Joker disappear. And no one knew where he was for like a year or two of comic books. And it was terrifying. You knew the Joker had disappeared. So clearly he was plotting something. But you didn't know what. Mm -hmm. And it made it when he reappeared in Death of the Family, which is not my favorite Joker story, but it was it was a big deal when it came out, feel way bigger. Uh, are you caught up with Harley right now? The Harley Quinn? No, I have not watched the second season yet. Ooh, they just... I, I don't want to give any spoilers, but they kind of just found a kind of neat way to get rid of Joker for a bit. And that's great. And you can even just kill the Joker and then bring it back. They're like, how you got back? And he's just like, let him lie a couple of times. Yeah, they just they just did a way where they could get get rid of him sort of indefinitely. It's It's left open that he could come back whenever they might need him to, but he can also just live this new existence. Great. Awesome. It's happened a couple of times. It a, a good Joker story is extremely wonderful, and the Joker stories that I don't feel like have aged well, like Killing Joke specifically, or actually a death in the family, mm. aren't actually Joker's fault that they didn't age well, but how they treated stuff around them. Like, in Death in the Family, where Jason Todd is killed... Ironically, it's not him beating a child to death with a crowbar that bothers me, but the fact that they decided that Iran was going to make Joker their ambassador to the UN so he could, like, blow it all up, which was Diplomatic a really immunity. Like, it was such a strange call to make. Or the, you know, uh, a killing joke, my issues with it have more to do with their treatment of Barbara Gordon than I have any issue with the Joker's actions in it. Mm -hmm. So it's more my issues with the creators when I like all the creators and both of those. So it's just stuff happens. All right. Uh, so Mark Hamill's number one Joker, obviously for both of us, Clearly, who's your number two then? Oh God, you know, probably Burton Joker. Why am I blanking that actor's name? He's one of the most famous actors in history. Uh, Jack Nicholson, Jack Nicholson. Thank you. I was so pissed at myself there. Uh, I really enjoy Jack Nicholson when you take it into account the era that that movie was made. It mm -hmm. is a very dated performance now, but in, what was that, 1989 when it came out? Mm -hmm. It was pitch perfect. I also like Heath Ledger. I do think Heath Ledger, much like The Matrix, kind of unfortunately shaped media for the next 10 years in ways that he did not intend to. Right. What about you? Um, Who's your favorite live action Joker? Let's be honest here. Uh, so I think Heath Ledger's Joker is one of the finest acting performances I've ever seen. I wouldn't oh, yeah. necessarily say it's my favorite rendition of the Joker. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's an exceptionally strong Joker. 
Uh, God, I have such a hard toss-up between Nicholson and Romero, but I might have to edge out Romero just because it also adds in a little bit extra nostalgia factor for me. I love Romero, but the first thing I think of when I think of Romero's Joker is that he just painted white over his mustache because he wasn't willing to shave it off. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) The most confusing thing about that is just have the Joker have a mustache. Just, like, dye it green instead. It would be way less distracting. (laughs) But I... uh, I, Yeah. That's... I thought Nicholson fit into the character the best of the three we're talking about here. Heath Ledger's Joker was amazing, but it didn't have... There was no wacky fun to his Joker. Right. If if you want... There was dark fun. I'm all for oh, dark yeah. fun, but... And if you wanted unlimited chaos, that's great. But part of what makes Joker so compelling is there is kind of a, like, wacky, funny, stupid old-school clown gags. Mm-hmm. That uh, that his didn't have, and it's not the kind of Batman that Nolan wanted to do. So it's not anything against him. It just I felt like it was missing. One thing I like about the Joker is he'll pull out the ridiculously long gun. I mean, the Tim Burton one went ridiculously long gun with it, and like he shoots, and you don't know if he's going to just shoot that dude dead, or if he's going, or if it's going to have like the bang flag. Mm-hmm. The 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 bit of vaudeville that the Joker has is not present in the Heath Ledger Joker. It was a choice. It's not necessarily a bad choice. It is something that I enjoy about Joker appearances. Awesome. Who's next? Next, we have the Penguin. The Penguin was created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger, first appearing in Detective Comics 58. Uh, everyone knows who he is. He's the tiny little crime lord who's obsessed with umbrellas and birds. And uh, they got the perfect actor to play him in Batman Returns and Danny DeVito, and then they just ruined it. I will never forgive Batman Returns. That movie's fucking weird, dude. I don't think it a is... lot of people re- think about how weird that fucking movie is. And Penguin's making, one... like, sex jokes through it. It's one that people either love or hate. And I get it. It is a Tim Burton... When Batman... Or when Tim Burton made Batman 89, it is a Batman movie made by Tim Burton. When he made Batman Returns, it is a Tim Burton movie that happens to star Batman. And, like, the gothic fairy tale weirdness. And he's like, you know what's not fun? a crime lord that's obsessed with birds because apparently Tim Burton is just wrong. He's like, it, we need a weird sewer child. Sewer and Moses. Grace, and he did grace me with penguins firing rockets off their backs. Like, I will grant him that. That is the most penguin baller move ever. Yes. But I wanted the weird crime lord. I mean, even like the Arkham City version of Penguin where the reason he's wearing a monocle all the time is because someone, like, stabbed him in the face with a broken beer bottle and it stuck there. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's just the most grimdark shit I've ever heard. <laughs> oh, shit. Oswald Cobblepot. 
What I wish Oswald they would Chesterfield Cobblepots. That's right. Just what I wish they would do more with Penguin, it gets touched on every now and then, and I know that a couple Batman movie scripts that never got made into movies that have been pitched at different times uh, highlighted this aspect more, but I love the fact that people need to do it more. They need to use the fact that Penguin is also old Gotham money. Mm-hmm. He's old money, and he's a gangster. He's a gangster crime lord as opposed to the Joker, who's a serial killer. Like, and I like, I like the idea that him and Bruce are from the same, like, cast in society. Mm-hmm. And they're both these privileged sons of Gotham, but Penguin is a mobster. Yeah. I like him as a mobster. It is uh, an area of Batman that comes up a lot, but too often they're like, we're doing mobsters. We have to go back to the like Falcone family who has not been intimidating since Batman year one. Penguin does it great. I love having the iceberg lounge. Mm -hmm. I love having it that, uh, that Batman and his, the Batman family, Nightwing, Batgirl, whatever can go to the iceberg lounge and lean on him when they need information for something else. Uh, that he exists in a as a character in a way that Joker can't. And when you try to make him just another, you know, Joker, basically, like that kind of serial killer villain, it doesn't work. Uh, there was a series called Gotham Underground. I do not remember who made it, but it was mostly about a gang war between the different Bat villains that a large part of it focused on Penguin. And one thing that it talked about a lot was that Penguin's men were extremely loyal to him. Like, Joker's minions aren't that loyal to him. They're just also kind of nuts, too. Most versions Pen of the Joker, I can't actually imagine him having henchmen that would stick around. Exactly. He kills fact, them too fast. That's the only, like, big point that I give to my kind of like for Jared Leto's Joker. His Joker is the only one I believed could have henchmen. Interesting. I can see it. Um, but in that one, like, uh, various crime gangs are going to come down hard on the Iceberg Lounge and, like, kill the Penguin. And he sends his troops away because he knows that he doesn't have a chance. And, like, all the gangsters are like, no, boss, we got to stay. And, but he doesn't want them to get killed because he actually, like, takes care of his gang members. And I thought that was interesting because no other Batman villain does that. Do you have a, a favorite Penguin portrayal? I don't know. I That's don't... a little bit weirder one than the Joker. but <laughs> Yeah, I'm probably going to give it to, like, Arkham City. I really enjoyed Penguin in Arkham City, even though he's as I said, so gloriously grimdark with the fucking beer bottle in his eye for a monocle. But it did another good job of... It, it did everything I want from Penguin while still giving it that kind of edgelord shit that the Arkham games did so well. I believe that was Nolan North voicing him for the Arkham games. He did a very good job. Danny DeVito was, as I said, the perfect actor to play Penguin as well. I just didn't agree with the choices that Tim Burton made. I really kind of want to give it to Batman 66 with Burgess Meredith again, but I'm going to, I'm not going to go all 
Batman 66. <laughs> um, Robin Lord Taylor is the only reason I watched as much Gotham as I did. I only watched a couple episodes of Gotham. He was definitely the most interesting part. Isn't like Colin Farrell playing him yes. in the new upcoming one? Mm-hmm. I am so fascinated to see what's going to happen with the Penguin being a sexy Scotsman. I I feel uh, like that just means they're for surely leaning way more into the fact that he's a mobster and Penguin's like a mob nickname. I'm in. I am. Everything about this movie sounds fascinating to me, so I'm glad they're doing Penguin, because as I said, we need a break from the Joker. Um, also fitting into Batman Returns, because I'm literally just going down the list of where they appeared in these movies, we have Catwoman. The character who has been most done dirty by live-action media. <laughs> Jesus Christ, yeah. Catwoman was, again, created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger. That's going to appear in most of these. She appeared in Batman number one, uh, appearing in April 1940, the same issue that Robin appears in, the same issue that Joker appears in. Because they used to just do a collection of short stories in each issue. She, In her first appearance, she is not a costumed villain. She's just a thief known as the cat. Um, and it's implied, and I say implied, it's it's very obvious, Batman lets her escape because she's hot. And while they're like driving away, not driving, like, I guess, whatever, sailing away from the yacht that Batman stopped her from robbing blind, Robin's like, Batman, what the heck? And he's like, literally has his hands behind his head being like, oh, I wonder if we're ever going to see her again. Um, you know, that is the most horn dog choice Batman has ever made. I've One always kind of been on choices. the uh, the Batman Catwoman ship. They are my ultimate one. They actually recently just got married in the comics at the end of the Tom King run. Uh, followed yeah. maybe by like Silver St. Cloud, but... Wow, that's a deep cut right there. I haven't thought of Silver St. Cloud in a long time. Uh, Catwoman... You said done dirty by live action. Catwoman's been done dirty by most everyone. <laughs> when she's done great, she's amazing. And when not, she's a everything that's bad about cheesecake comic books. I, I have a feeling so I have a feeling when most people hear Catwoman, they think of the Michelle Pfeiffer. It's the classic. Again, Batman Returns. Whether I think they made the right choices or not, it is I some iconic looks that defined Batman for the next Bit. 15 years? Yeah. What as long do as you, don't you go think? With Berry, like <laughs> what do you think in like two or three sentences of licked back to life Catwoman? Oh my god. Oh my god. <laughs> They've done it in two movies and it's never a good call. It's what the f I don't want a mystical aspect of Catwoman. I don't want I want Catwoman to have been a hard-on-her-luck woman. She doesn't have to be a prostitute. Frank Miller felt the need to make every woman character he ever made a prostitute or a sex worker of some kind. And I'm not... She could have been a sex worker. That's fine. But it's not a requirement for me. But I want her to be someone who saw the Batman and was inspired, but not necessarily inspired to help people. I want her on the gray line. I want her... Like Batman to be 
just her own goddamn skills. Not, I was murdered by Christopher Walken and cats brought me back to life. <laughs> if you ever want a good cat, Catwoman series, uh, Ed Brubaker and Darwin Cook did a series that defines Catwoman better than anything I've ever read. I mean, Darwin Cook was possibly the most brilliant comic creator of his generation anyways, but this one really brought home. Before this series had been Catwoman in that purple costume that defined her for so much of the 90s that was pretty much just constantly shredded. Mm -hmm. And they put her in practical clothes. They gave her the goggles that defined her for so many years. It's basically the costume that they use in the Arkham games, but she's not spilling out of it. I really like, like it, the Arkham costume. That's a good version. Yes. It is that costume, except she bothers to zip it up all the way. Mm. Which I like. I mean, I, I'm i a guy. I do not dislike the Arkham costume. I do not dislike the spilling out of the Arkham costume. But, but she's a thief. Mm -hmm. She's a really good thief. So I don't dislike Catwoman being sexy, but you need to make sure to do it where it's not just that she's sexy. I'm curious. Also, Eartha Kitt played her, and that's amazing. Hmm? Eartha Kitt played her, and that's amazing. Eartha Kitt was my first Catwoman. I think Michelle Pfeiffer was my first one, or whoever plays her in Batman the Animated Series. I like Black Catwoman. I like that they're doing that in Harley Quinn as well. And the Batman. Zoe Kravitz is our upcoming Catwoman. That's so good. I am so excited for that. Uh, I'm ex I want to know what her Catwoman costume is going to look like. You have announced this to me like four different times on the podcast, and I always forget, and I always have that moment of, she is? Um, and I actually, I really liked the Anne Hathaway costume. Um, Again, I liked it for the setup that they had. Like, the we're doing Batman, but taking out all the, like, fun campiness. Mm-hmm. It worked as a practical, relatively practical thief costume. I would have liked a little more cat to it. I could see that. Uh, who's your cat woman? You know, I don't know. As I said, I want to say Darwin Cook and Ed Brubaker. Um <laughs> I don't have a huge... I don't have a live-action one that I'm devoted to. As I said, Eartha Kit is amazing as Catwoman. Probably that. Which is weird because I don't watch a whole lot of Batman 66. Uh, this is one I'm going to have to go back to the 66, but not Eartha Kit. I'm going Julie Newmar. You know, Newmar also killed it. Gotta go with some Julie Newmar. Although Lee Merriweather, too. All all three of them did a great job back then. See, I really like the Julie Newmar, where it's, I mean, basically the Anne Hathaway costume, but they put little ears on it. Like, it, it, it's an anime fan convention, but it works. I, I am really hoping Zoe Kravitz is going to be my Catwoman. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. Yeah. I'll agree <laughs> with that. Uh, who's next? Two-Face. Oh my god, so... <laughs> I just want to say, this is... As I've mentioned before on the podcast, I did just get done reading 
uh, Long Halloween and Dark Victory, in which Two-Face is a major player. But in general, over the past few years, I have been starting to like the character of Two-Face more and more and more uh, with the contrast he brings to Batman. Two-Face, once again, created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger. Uh, whatever I think about Bob Kane, and it was probably mostly Bill Finger doing it, damn, this creative team made some of the most iconic stuff in comic history. He first appeared in Detective Comics 66, August 1942. Uh, Two-Face Harvey Dent uh, was a district attorney working with Batman until he was hit by acid by mob boss Sal Maroney. He is my favorite Batman villain, probably. It's like him and Hush, which is fun, because they're both major characters in Hush. He is fun because he is so unpredictable. You can have him be the crime boss, or you can have him be the weird, over-the-top, you know, serial killer in Themes of Two. There, there's so much range to what you can do with him, and there is a tragedy to him that there is not with the Joker. I feel like I wrote... Two-Face off for a long time because my first Two-Face was Tommy Lee Jones. See, that's why I liked him so much. Tommy Lee Jones is clearly having the time of his life making that movie. Uh, I agree, and I saw it when I was young enough that I really enjoyed the movie, but I... The second I would try to read anything Two-Face, it was so much different than that portrayal. <laughs> that's fair. My favorite fact about Two-Face is they retired the character for something like 30 years because he was too dark and fucked up for the era of the Comic Code Authority being super powerful. Mm. Like, he was he was too much. They didn't use him for something like 20 or 30 years. And so they're like, you know what's amazing? Two-Face. And brought him back, and he became a staple. It's why he's never in Batman 66. Right. Uh, he was supposed to be. Uh, I believe there was a script that just never ended up getting made before the, the show got canceled. Yeah, there were a couple that didn't appear for various reasons, usually money, uh, and or just, you know, it was a se series that had three seasons and was scraping by despite being really popular. Two-Face is also just visually, I think, one of the coolest ones, because you can do so much with him. You can go really simple with the costumes, like Batman the Animated Series, where one side of his, you know, suit is black and the other is white, or you can go Batman Forever, where one side's black and the other side's everything. There, There is a range. <laughs> Have you ever seen, there were a series of video shorts called Batman? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Batman is so dumb that he can't figure out that Harvey and Two-Face are the same person. <laughs> Two-Face, what did you do with Harvey Dent? Do you not get this? All right, look at this side of my face. What do you see? Harvey face. What about this side? Scary face. Okay, now you put them together. Two-Face, what did you do with Harvey face and scary face? <laughs> <laughs> It's the one of the dumbest things I've ever seen, but it was so funny. Um, my um, friend yells that at me a lot. <laughs> yeah, I think as I've as I've began to read more and more in in these later years of mine, <laughs> I I I've grown to appreciate Two Face so much more because I think 
God, he's one of the characters that really brings out to me what what can be very well done with all of Batman's rogues gallery. And that's, they're all sort of can be dark versions of Bruce's fears Mm -hmm. or the, the like dark versions of the ideals he's committed to. And I think like, especially when you're comparing him to Batman, when you're describing Batman on paper, he sounds like a very, uh, black and white sort of character until you put him up against a character that only lives in the binary. Yeah. And then you could also play in, you know, they used to be friends. They used That's to be the allies. Other thing. There's so much depth to be explored there. Um, fuck, Two-Face is an amazing character. <laughs> He's so good. He is one of those that when the story's not working, it gets really, un- like, uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. But not like, oh god, I'm unsafe, but just like, it's just not very good. But a good, you know, you brought up Long Halloween, you brought up Dark Victory, both of those, just all in one, is just a great, great Two-Face story. And then they uh, Jeff Loeb, who apparently, I think Two-Face must be his favorite Batman villain, because he brings him back again in Hush, where they actually cure Two-Face, and it's, again, you get to see... What if that bat like what what if he gets cured? Can he become an ally of the bat again? And you know it's not gonna last because it's a villain and they're never gonna let Two-Face go. But they went a couple years of Harvey Dent being a character, and then when he fell back to being Two-Face in a series called Face the Face, it was so good and it was so tragic. And they finally explained why his face is completely asymmetrical despite being splashed with acid. And it's that he fucking fixed it up. Mm. Like in that one, he's battling between being Harvey Dent and being Two-Face. And when he finally gives in, he pours acid on that side of his face and then goes to the mirror with a scalpel and like cuts things to make sure that it's even. Because if you're going to do it, you might as well do it right. Wow. Yeah, it it was dark. Um, I really liked him in The Dark Knight. I was really disappointed that they chose to kill him there. I thought that he should have survived and been the villain in the third movie. Yeah. Like, yeah, Because they, they put so much time into the prep of creating Two-Face, and then they kill him off in, like, two scenes. And Aaron Eckhart can be pretty wonderful. And Aaron Eckhart was great as Two-Face. That said, find pictures online where people took... They've done this with Tommy Lee Jones, too, and it's also amazing. They took the makeup for the the fucked up side of Two-Face's head mm-hmm. and swapped it. So, like, it, like, this is what it would look like if his full face looked like this. Mm-hmm. And it is absolute wrong horror show. <laughs> it does not work at all. Like, that's not how faces work. <laughs> so who would you say is your Two-Face? Uh, I gotta give it to Tommy Lee Jones because he was given more time to actually be Two-Face. If we're talking Harvey Dent, it's disappointing we never got any Tommy Lee Jones as Harvey Dent. But as Two-Face, Aaron Eckhart was gone too fast. There was no time for it to be fun. It was just, oh, she's dead. Guess I'm gonna go be sad about Rachel now and kill people. In a plot that made no sense now that I think about it. As I said, I just wanted so much more from Aaron Eckhart. 
So it, it just kept it from him being my, my guy. What about you? I still can't give it to Tommy Lee Jones. It might have to be Aaron Eckhart by default. Big shout out to Billy D. Williams. <laughs> oh, Billy D. <laughs> I would have loved a Billy D. Tommy Lee, not Tommy Lee, uh, Billy D. Harvey Dent and Two Face. That would have been so much fun. Um, but I do want to shout out a weird fucked up version of Two Face from the comics as well. And that's the Two Face that shows up in uh, Arkham Asylum, a serious house for a serious earth. Yeah, just everything about a serious house for a serious earth, man. Um, that version of Two-Face, if you've never read it, has been in Arkham, and they've attempted to cure him. Uh, so they've weaned him off of uh, his coin so that he can have more than just a binary choice. And it gets to... Uh, they mention, Playing like, cards, dice, it? and then eventually it's a tarot deck. That's it. Uh, which he actually somewhat sees the future with, but it's given him... Because it's Grant Morrison. Right. But it's also really fucking dark and twisted because he now has so many choices and it takes him so long to make a choice that he's basically sitting in a pile of his own shit. Yeah, that one was super tragic. That was like, oh, you're... Your plan for healing him, like, I see where you were coming from, but that was a really terrible choice. Mm-hmm. Really awful choice. Uh, moving along, because as I said, we have so many of these. <laughs> we come up to Riddler next, who in that one was played by Jim Carrey. Uh, Riddler was created by, oh, hey, it's different, Bill Finger and Dick Sprang in... Oh, God, I love that name. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry, Dick Sprang. Oh, Dick Sprang. <laughs> Bill Finger... God, I'm a child. Bill Finger and Dick Sprang in Detective Comics 140, October 1948. His name is Edward Nigma, or Enigma, which is a terrible pun, but it's perfect for a comic book villain. And he is, when done badly, a knockoff Joker. When done interestingly, another angle of the Batman villain that, again, we do not usually see, because Joker is the... You know, mass murderer, Two Face, and Penguin are the mobsters. Uh, Kinda the mobsters, and Riddler is this person who needs to prove he's smarter than the Bat. Riddler is kind of best when he's dangerous, but he's not necessarily murderous. I don't want Riddler going on like, "Well, I'm on a killing spree now." But I want him to need to prove that he is the smartest person in Gotham. <laughs> I would say um, Riddler is maybe one of the characters that, of all the characters that know who Batman is, he's probably the most well-known. Yeah. I love that he figures out in Hush who Batman is. And Batman's not even worried because it, he won't be special anymore if he tells the world. Right. What's What good is a riddle that everyone knows the answer to? And you just see Riddler just being like, son of a bitch. <laughs> um, Riddler is the character of these that it is easiest to make a bad story of. Because as I said, if you just turn him into a serial killer... Or you you can't take away the goofiness of Riddler. Anytime they've tried, like, uh, a series called The Batman 
It was the first Batman animated series they tried to do after the, like, Bruce Timm series. Mm -hmm. And, like, after Batman Beyond and Justice League was done, where they made him, like, a weird goth. Or Greg Capullo's tried to turn him, like, give him a mohawk that's in a question mark shape. They've tried, He tried to make him kind of punk. It doesn't work. I want my Riddler to have a bowler hat. I want him to have a full suit with question marks all over it. I want him to look like he is selling you something in a bad infomercial. <laughs> yeah, he should basically always be Crazy Eddie. Uh, yes, exactly. I want him to not look dangerous, so when he is dangerous, it's so much bigger. Uh, who's your Riddler, then? Uh, probably Gershwin. Gershwin. Yeah. Frank Gorshin. Yep, all the way. Um, he uh, defined Carrie... so much about that character. In a lot of ways, it seems like. Oh, he definitely did. Jim Carrey was really good at first, but it went when they went into the like sparkly spandex cat suit. When when they let Schulmacher go full Schulmacher, it really just went off the edge. Yeah, yeah, it did. I, like it was fun, but it was yeah. yeah. <clears throat> Uh, moving on, we go on to Mr. Freeze, who appeared way earlier than most people know, despite the fact that he did become a big character until later. Three appearances in Batman 66. Mr. Freeze, originally known as Dr. Freeze, was uh, created by Bob Kane, Sheldon Moldoff, and David Wood. He originally had a truly terrible costume that was primarily green, with, like, red highlights. And he did not have that interesting a story. He was just uh, a scientist that got hit by the things and became evil. It wasn't until Batman the Animated Series in the early 90s that they recreated his story to include his wife, Nora Fries, and gave him a level of pathos that actually gave the character a depth that he had not had in the 30 prior years of his experience. His existence, not experience. And, I mean, fuck, if you haven't seen Heart of Ice. <laughs> yes. Also, his appearance in Batman Beyond. He was one of the few characters to ever appear in Batman Beyond as well as Batman the Animated Series. Because they did a, a really good job of not just being like, well, here's Joker 2.0. Here, well, they did that. Here's Riddler 2.0. But the episode where he appears in Batman Beyond is fucking tragic as well. Uh, and I'm going to say it right now. My Mr. Freeze is the Batman in the Animated Series Mr. Freeze. Uh, yeah, I'm um, sure he's shit not giving it to Arnold Schwarzenegger and his ice buns. Yeah, voiced by Michael and Sarah, I believe, in the Animated Series. Uh, that guy killed it. He killed it. I was going to say, I feel like there was something else that you actually would know him from, even if you don't realize you know him from. Uh, Michael Ansara? Yeah. <laughs> uh, he's Kang. He's who? Kang. In Kane? Deep Space in Deep Space Nine and Voyager. He's Kang, okay. In oh original series. Oh my god. <laughs> he's a Klingon, and he's, this guy is perfect. Oh, uh, <laughs> I have to go with it. I have to. I mean, I have to give it to the animated series, too, because Heart of Ice is a fucking magical piece of television. But, oh, I'm not going to lie, dude. Like, 
Arnie is really close for me because I love me some puns. Arnie is a lot like in the same way that I enjoy Two Face by Tommy Lee Jones. He is clearly having the time of his life playing this character. Ooh, I don't know about that. I learned some things about Batman and Robin that make me appreciate that movie just a little bit more. You know how there's a couple scenes where he has like light up glowing blue in his mouth? Yeah, they put terrible shit in his mouth that he should not have had in there. Yeah, it was like super shitty rigged on the spot LEDs that were like leaking battery acid over his teeth and mouth almost the entire filming. Okay, so yes, it was a terrible work. That is the worst part of what sounds like a really terrible working experience that was Batman and Robin. However, he also made them, like... <laughs> he was also pretty fucking terrible on that set, though, too, apparently. Because all of those I cigars just, are real. It just looked like he was enjoying himself, even if the, like the whole setup was awful. He looks like the only person who enjoyed himself in that movie. And from what I've read, that's true. <laughs> Well, I think it's because he was also getting paid like twice as much as anyone else on that movie. He had top billing over Batman. Yeah, I mean, he was, this is, what, 90, that would have been, what, 98? 97. 97? He was huge. He was so big. But, I mean, come on, heart of ice. Yeah, there's there's just no topping it. I do like that people were like, Mr. Freeze isn't really a villain. He's just trying to save his wife. And that's true. But his answer to saving his wife is to kill so many people. Mm -hmm. And there is very much murder. So, like, I feel fear, Mr. Freeze, but also maybe less murder in your plans and I'd be back up with you. Young Justice did a very good Mr. Freeze as well. Not Heart of Ice good, but very good. Yeah, good. Uh, who's next? Poison Ivy, created by Robert Kran Robert Kaniger and Sheldon Moldoff in Batman 181, June 1966. This is the character that started as a villain, and now anytime that she's the bad guy, I'm like, oh, fuck, are we the baddies? <laughs> if there was ever a villain that has a real point to her, it's Poison Ivy. Maybe we should stop wrecking nature. And I'm like, God, it is so much harder to th view you as the bad guy anymore. Right. <laughs> I just, uh, if you want the ultimate Poison Ivy, watch the Harley Quinn animated series. Uh, yeah, Lake Bell is now my my Ivy. I don't I mean, before that, I didn't have many options to begin with. But Yeah, there were there was uh, uh, God. What's her name? She was in uh, Uma Thurman. Robin. There was Uma Thurman. Uh, who was at one point married to the guy who played Commissioner Gordon in the Dark Knight series. And I can't remember a single actor's name today, apparently. Um, Anyways. I know, like, three different actresses played her on Gotham. And that yeah, was she got changed constantly. Gary Oldman is his name. There we go. Uma Thurman was married to Gary Oldman, which means in a bizarre way, Poison Ivy was married to Commissioner Gordon, mm -hmm. which I love. As I said, she's just... The good guy, honestly, and like almost maybe murder less. But again, you got a bit of a point there. Ivy's great. I Ivy's amazing in the Harley animated. That's where I've been enjoying her most. 
uh, a lot of the times when she pops up in comics, even when she's like flexing, I'm like, yeah, but Swamp Thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's unfair. <laughs> Uh, I do like that they were both heavily affected by the same character. She was created by uh, Jason Woodrow, who is the mm-hmm. Pharaonic Man, who is the guy that dissected Swamp Thing and realized that he wasn't actually Alec. Yep, in uh, the anatomy lesson. So they are deeply tied together in a way that very few characters are. And as we continue to just race through these, we reach... Bane. Oof. I have a lot of love for Bane. Bane was created by Chuck Dixon, Doug Monch, and Graham Nolan. He first appeared in Batman Vengeance of Bane number one in January of 1993. If you say your Bane is the one from Batman and Robin, we are ending this podcast forever right now. No, my Bane's the one from Harley Quinn. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Again, that... Weird, goofy Bane (laughs) that's just uh, fucking, like, getting into fights with Kite Man and trying to blow up a smoothie shop is so good. Oh, dude, he gets even better in the second season. I can't wait for you to get caught up. And uh, I I actually do like Bane as a real legitimate villain. Um, His early appearances are pretty good, even if I'm not a huge Chuck, Chuck Dixon fan. He, I, I actually recently made a leather helmet that is the Bane mask. I'll, I'll put it up on our social media as soon as we get it done. I have to finish the like final touches. Bane is a great character that suffers from the fact that you will never top his first story. Yeah. God, his first when, story is really good. When your first appearance, you snap Batman's back over your fucking knee in one of the most iconic panels of Batman history. Where the fuck do you go from there? Um, the answer is nowhere. Right. And it, it happened. Bane kind of listlessly wandered for a long time, and the best answer I ever found was to make him... The weird, goofy guy who the smoothie shop calls Blaine all the time in Harley Quinn. He's amazing. He might be my favorite part of Harley Quinn. <laughs> God, first, I want to point out, like, I got a lot of love for Bane because representation is important. He's Latinx. Mm, I did not think of that. Um, That's very fair. And he, I mean, and his costume is a fucking luchador mask, like... Oh, uh, on that note, Young Justice had Danny Trejo play Bane, and that is a also good contender for who is like the best Bane. Right. Uh, the the Harley Quinn Bane is voiced by James Adamian. I want to throw that out while we're giving people their as, dues um, as we talk about how great he is. This one, Bane, for me is another one where he becomes more interesting the more you line him up against Batman. Uh, when you mm-hmm. take in Bane's origin and how self-driven he was, he's kind of what if someone with all of Batman's drive had been thrown into those circumstances, had been forced to train himself up to the point where he was, then also saw a vision of a bat but interpreted it completely differently. Mm-hmm. Whereas um, instead he's like, oh, 
I see the bat and I'm scared of the bat. I'm not going to use it to scare others, though. I'm it means that I just have to beat the bat to become my best self. I will just murder the bat. And he took that very literally. Uh, like he, Alice Cooper, literally. Not Alice Cooper. Uh, uh, Ozzy Osbourne, literally. His, I mean, his costume is already based off a luchador mask. I very, very much want Bane to be given a major uh, heel face turn. <laughs> that's, I will say. That's my biggest hope. And I think that's the way that you might be able to go forward in a really interesting way with a character who has already broken the bat. I am definitely on team. He has to have the luchador mask. I don't like it when it's not a luchador mask. Sorry, Tom Hardy. But when it's a luchador mask that you can see his nose out of, it just looks dumb to me. Cover the whole face. Yeah. But uh, that's, that's me. That's my white boy opinion on luchador masks. There's also one... <laughs> we, we brought up Danny Trejo. We brought up uh, Adomian. There's one other uh, Bane I, wa- I want to bring up just because I think it's hilarious that he voiced him once. And Doug Benson voiced him for the Lego Batman movie. Really? Yeah. <laughs> oh God, I always forget about the Lego Batman movie. It, it wasn't my favorite. I mean, it was also clearly not for me. And I had a lot of fun with it. Like, And so that's just incredible. So... I love me some Doug you know, Benson. That makes me think of something from Penguin. I want to say it was Patton Oswalt that played Penguin in Lego Batman movie. Ooh, I'll look that up. And I he, think you're right. He did play him in Batman in an episode. I would love a real Patton Oswalt playing Penguin in a bit large scale thing. That would make that would be so good. Because we know he can be creepy sometimes. And he's goofy, which is a good Penguin thing. Uh, he, uh, John Venzen was Penguin in Lego Batman movie. Oh, I was super wrong. Okay, either way, standing by my plan, Patton Oswalt. Yeah, no, I'm down for, I'm down with that. I would love that. It'd be so good. All right, moving on again, because we're getting way far into the episode, and I still have several characters to go. Rajal Ghoul, and I'm going to put it in at the same time, Tell you Al Ghul, because you can't really talk about one without the other. Rage was created by Dennis O'Neill and Neil Adams in Batman 232 in June 1971. Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams is one of is one of, if not the greatest pairing for a creative team of Batman comics of all time. They redefined Batman in the 70s after they had gotten kind of everything they could have out of let's base Batman off of the Batman 66 TV show. And they defined Batman in a way that we are still feeling today. They actually made him cool, (laughs) like tough, dangerous detective, not, you can't understate the influence that these two have beyond just creating Rage Al Ghul and Talia Al Ghul. And I think Rage is in the running for one of the greatest Batman villains of all time. He's one of the few people that can really challenge Batman on the global level that Batman is capable of being. Do you know how long it's taken me to train myself to not say Ra's al Ghul? Uh, I still do most of the time. (laughs) 
Exactly. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Rachel Ghoul. I'm getting better with it. The head of the demon. I like I I need to read more with him. He's a character I like. I've never went deep with. I liked the the fact that they decided to use him for Batman Begins. My personal race is probably actually Matt Nabel from the Arrowverse. I thought I thought that season was a train wreck, but I thought that he did a really good job. I love that Liam Neeson almost came back for that. That would have been pretty amazing too. I like like they looked Neeson's. into it and they just couldn't fit fit it into the schedule. Uh, who I would actually love to play Rajal Ghul is, forgive me if I mispronounce this, Farin Tahir. He has been in everything, but he is best known for being the lead terrorist in the first Iron Man movie. Oh, okay. Because I really want a Middle Eastern rage. That's his entire, like, he is Middle Eastern. His name is Arabic for, in theory, Arabic, head of the demon. I enjoyed, I really enjoyed Liam Neeson as rage. But I would love a non-whitewashed version of the character. Yeah, that's fair, too. For sure. I don't know who I would want. I'd have to think about that. Uh, yours is good. I'm at looking yours up right now just so I can get his face back in my mind. But At the same time, it would be really great to let Farron Tahir play someone who's not a terrorist. So there's <laughs> that to consider, too. <laughs> oh, yeah, that guy. Okay. Yeah, he'd be He's great. good. Yeah. You will build me my Jericho missile. Yeah, man. He would like just grow the doofy, doofy little beard and it'd be perfect. I've grown that beard before. It was not a good call, but I did it. I went into that knowing it was going to be a bad call. Uh, I was working on a trail crew for the Montana Conservation Corps, and I'd grown my mountain man beard. Mm -hmm. And I don't remember why I decided to shave it, but I was having fun with, you know, you've had a beard before. Anytime you shave your beard, you do stupid little things to it. Oh, absolutely. And I got that far, and I was like, you know what? I think I'm done. I'm not dating anybody. I'm going to be out in the woods. I have no one to impress. I'm going to have the stupid beard. It was a bad call. It was a bad call. Um, I didn't get far enough into Gotham for him to appear, but I do know that they had Alexander Siddig play him. Uh, oh, wow. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. Doran Martell from Game of Thrones. Uh, Julian Bashir from Deep Space Nine, bud. <laughs> so showing who we are as people right um he is a good choice that i never would have thought of and as someone who is both british and middle eastern in heritage that yeah, might be I the believe, best of uh, both worlds sudanese yeah his real name is sadig el fadil but he changed it to Alexander Siddig because he got tired of people mispronouncing it. Oh, God. I Sorry, Farron, to hear. I think you just got outranked by Alexander Siddig. You just want more Alexander Siddig? Uh, I'm sorry. Gotham might not be the right, like, best movie or TV show ever, and it's definitely not. But, like, also at the same time, that's a really good call. Mm-hmm. Oh, Real quick, on Talia, Talia does not stand great on her own. She is a really compelling character when worked into the Batman-Rajal Ghoul balance. 
I think she gets done dirty a lot because she's too often defined by the men in her life, either her father, her lover, or her son. Her son being Damian Wayne. But I think she's a really important part of the Rachel Ghoul story at the same time. Uh, and that's another one where I'm going to have to give it to uh, the Arrowverse over the movieverse. Because Marion Cotillard did a fine job, but I like me some Lexa Doig. Hmm. I think so. I think I agree with you on that one. I just keep kept thinking of her as the uh, wife from Big Fish. Mm. And kept being like, what are you doing? You're not evil. <laughs> um, but like when she turned, I mean, I wasn't super surprised by it, but I was like, that was a well done moment. Agreed. Who's next? Scarecrow, created again by Bob Kane and Bill Finger, first appearing in World's Finest Comics number 3, September of 1941. Scarecrow is a character I like. Scarecrow is a character that I have never been overly devoted to. I think visually, he's awesome. But there's only so much you can do with he makes you scared. My favorite thing about Scarecrow is that he's a shitty yellow lantern when they finally turn him into one. <laughs> you have the ability to master or you have the ability to inspire great fear and he's just not good at it. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> what is it? Well, when you take into account who the other yellow lanterns are, you realize just how small time he truly is. Yeah. And like fear might be his thing, but it's nothing on like a sentient virus that has wiped out entire galaxies. I'm looking him up here. Apparently Coolio played Scarecrow in Batman and Robin. I don't remember that at all. I, I remember Coolio was in Batman and Robin. I have a feeling that in an outtake, he was probably referred to as like Mr. Crane. And that's why they're calling him that. Huh? Okay. That's weird. Um, I gotta give it to S Cillian Killian Murphy, who Killian. plays him in the Dark... Killian Murphy, who plays him in the Dark Knight trilogy. He does a great job. He plays a very sweaty Scarecrow. Uh, I would have liked... He's he's kind of lame when he appears in Dark Knight and Dark Knight Rises, but it was fun to see like that kind of recurring thing. He did a very great Jonathan Crane. I agree. I'm a big fan of Killian Murphy anyway. So I'm a little bit biased there and was probably going to pick him. But also another actor that I'm biased towards that has portrayed the character. I love me some Jason Mantzoukas and he voices Scarecrow for the Lego Batman movie. <laughs> <laughs> Lego Batman movie had way bigger names than it had any right to have. <laughs> um, yeah, I fucking love that he's the shittiest Yellow Lantern. Anyway. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. Oh, Jason Manzoukas would be so funny as a scarecrow. Uh, remembering who that is. The best scarecrow story I ever read was one where he realized that no one took him seriously anymore because he'd become over-reliant on fear toxin. So he went back to not using anything and just driving people mad. Mm. And I thought that was way more interesting than almost any other uh, scarecrow thing. I, As I said, I like scarecrow, but I don't have, like, here's a story that, like, really stands out. He's a uh, good back villain. I could do a little bit of fucking people up with Scarecrow and Injustice too. I should point that out. So 
I did enjoy the game is the funniest fucking thing because that is he is like the least fighty Batman villain I can think of. Uh, he's like they make him fucking scary in that game. (laughs) I just imagine like Scarecrow versus Riddler just being like a slap fight. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and the the Scarecrow segments of the Arkham games are amazing fucking balls out amazing when you're having to like avoid his gaze in these weird yes trippy... and you've been hit with the toxin so it actually makes sense of why he looks so like big and scary and intimidating yeah uh love those segments anyway and they kind of work the gas mask into his face okay uh next one we're really just going to mention because she's so big that we can't not mention it with harley quinn we've already done a full episode on her uh uh Harley Quinn was created by Paul Denny and Bruce Timm. Her first comic book appearance was Batman Adventures number 12 from September 1993. But she first appeared on Batman the Animated Series, being not the first character translated from a different media into comic books, but easily the most known character. Mm -hmm. For mine, I think I have to give... You know, for years, I would have said the original actress who played Harley, who I am looking up the name of right now because she is uh, Arlene so Sorkin. Good. Arlene Sorkin? Mm-hmm. For years, I would have said Arlene Sorkin, and I'll still even give it to her probably over Margot Robbie as much as I like Margot Robbie. But the Harley Quinn from Harley Quinn. Uh, Kaylee Cuoco. Kaylee Cuoco does such a good job. And Haley Cuoco was fine in Big Bang Theory, which was a series that was fine. But yeah, fine. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty fun. I thought season two was really funny, and then I'm pretty sure if I watched it now, I'd be like, oh. Yeah, um, yeah fine. Uh, but she is a very fun and interesting Harley Quinn, and uh, we get to see the anti not anti-hero, the chaotic Harley Quinn that's not quite a villain, not quite a hero, somewhere more in between, which is where I find her. I want my Harley to be a creature of chaos that is there to throw a wrench in the Joker-Batman dynamic as more than I want her to be, like, Joker's girlfriend or a member of the Bat family. Honestly, I could toss a coin between Margot Robbie and and Kaylee Cuoco at this point. I, I love them both for such... I honestly didn't think we would ever get something so close to being such a, an amazing Harley live action. And Margot is just destroying it every time she's up on screen. Margot kills it. When I'm giving it to the other two, that is in no way a knock against Margot Robbie. Uh, Holy shit, she's good as that. Harley Quinn has been like one of my favorite things to watch for the past few months. It is mm-hmm. so fucking strong. I mean, flip a coin. I'd, I'd give it to either of them. Uh, Arlene, obviously, is amazing. Tara Strong just... has voiced Harley in a lot of the appearances since uh, Arlene hasn't. Uh, she's not the only one, too. I know there's a few other names that you could throw out there, but uh, Tara, Tara Strong, Strong is another voices one that does a very good... everything. So. She does a very good job. I am in no way knocking on Tara Strong either. I keep sounding like I'm being defensive here. They're all doing good. Tara Strong doesn't define the role for herself in the way that the other three do. No. No, Tara kind of just continues Arlene. 
and that it's a very strong way of doing it. It is not a bad call, but you know, if I have to pick between the two, I'm going to go with Arlene because Arlene defined that role. Mm -hmm. And I still might have to give it to Arlene because literally Harley exists because Arlene did a Harlequin dream sequence in a soap opera. Right. Still so funny. Um, Moving on, because we're at like two hours now at this point already. We are going to mention Black Mask because he appeared in... Uh, Harley Quinn and the Birds of Prey or Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn. He was created by Doug Monch and Tom Mandrake. He is a good... Just watch the movie. Just listen to the episode we talked about. Go back to it. You'll get everything we need to hear about Black Mask. (laughs) Would you go with with, uh, Ewan as your Black Mask if we're talking about his different appearances or... I think I would go with the black mask from Under the Red Hood. Uh, Wade Williams. Wade Williams does a very good job. Yeah. I I also just like giving proper credit to animated voice actors because they don't get enough. I mean, he does as good a job as Ewan McGregor, I think. But everyone knows who Ewan McGregor is. Oh, no, I didn't know who Wade Williams was. I still don't know who Wade Williams is. I don't know. I I might go have to go with Nolan North. He voiced him in Arkham City. Oop, also a very strong one. Uh, Black Mask. He appears in Arkham villain. Origins and Arkham Knight as well, but he's voiced by Brian Bloom in both of those. So, huh. he's not the strongest Batman villain, but he's another good. If you need a mobster and for whatever reason you don't want to do Penguin or you want him to be going against Penguin. I thought Ewan did a very good job of he wasn't the king monster mobster. He wanted to be the king mobster. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think he's most interesting. Uh, this gets us through all the movie ones, but there were two other ones that we wanted to mention because they appear a lot in Batman of the Animated Series and they are kind of big league Batman villains that haven't made it into live action movies yet. First, we have Clayface. Now, there have been like 12 different Clayfaces. (laughs) But I'm just going to read off the first one. Actor Basil Carlo, portrayed by Bill... Not portrayed, created by Bill Finger and Bob Kane. Surprise, surprise. In Detective Comics number 40, June 1940. Basil Carlo, Basil Carlo, whichever you want to go with, uh, was an actor, got turned into goop. In some versions, he's just a criminal. In others, he's trying to be a... Uh, he, he's trying to get fixed. Mm-hmm. He is really obnoxious and really amazing, played by Alan Tudyk in Harley Quinn. He's super funny in it. Yes. Oh, he's so good. Uh, and in Acting. Detective Comic... <laughs> Acting! The theater! In Detective Comics Rebirth he is actually made a member of one of the Batman teams because he's like, you're not actually a villain. You're just got fucked up by it and you lose control when you become Clayface. And he was like trying to actually help fix Clayface and using Clayface as a hero. And it works for a while. And it's also super tragic when Clayface, you know, it falls apart because it's always going to. Anytime a villain becomes a hero again, unless you're Hawkeye or Black Widow, that's not going to stick. Also, it had a really great over-the-top scene where he turns into basically a Batman mecha armor that Batman is piloting. 
And he just like surrounds Batman and gets bigger and fights stuff that way. It made no sense, but it was a great scene. Clayface. So I, since you know that I recently read white Knight, technically mm-hmm. Clayface has a big part in that, but you only see him in like maybe two pages total. It's kind of fucked up how White Knight uses it. This will be minor spoilers, especially because this is a rather new series. But Joker bakes Clayface and then grinds him down into dust, while but keeps his brain like basically in a jar off to the side, since that basically can still, you know, control all of his clay. And then puts one of the Mad Hatters. Uh, control cards in the brain and spikes all the rest of the villain's drinks with Clayface clay. That's horrific. And then the Joker basically only has to use his brain power with one of uh, the Mad Hatter's hats to control Clayface and can control the rest of the villains through that, basically. (laughs) That's horrific. Congratulations, White Knight. Congratulations, Sean Gordon Murphy. You're going to give me nightmares. It's pretty fucked up, but (laughs) I had to bring it up since it just came up so recently for me. And with our last one of the night, which is funny because he is definitely not the strongest Batman villain, we have The Killer Croc. Created by Gary Conway, Don Newton, and Gene Colan in Batman 357, March 1983. That is an amazing creative team. And Killer Croc, Waylon Jones, has stuck around in a whole lot of power as one of the strongmen. If you want a mob boss, if you want someone with planning, Killer Croc is definitely not your guy. If you want someone that Batman has to punch that can, like, take a punch, this is what we want Killer Croc for. Killer Croc also doesn't have very many appearances across the board. No. There's not much to Killer Croc, but he appeared often enough in Batman the Animated Series that I wanted to bring him up. And actually, one of the first times we're like, oh shit, Bane's a badass, is he breaks both of Killer Croc's arms and proves that he's he's the toughest guy in Letterkenny. (laughs) He's the toughest guy in Gotham Kenny. Uh, Well, of course, he does appear on film, just not in a Batman movie. Yeah, he appears in Suicide Squad. Uh, But my Killer Croc, I gotta give it to Arkham. The Arkham games. He is legit terrifying when you're having to, like, jump onto things, and if you land in the water, fucking Crocodile Man comes out of nowhere and wrecks your day. Uh, I agree. That's probably my Killer Croc as well, and it makes me super happy to be able to bring up Steve Bloom, because I love all of his voice work. Uh, he's uh, Killer Croc in Arkham Asylum, City, and Night. Uh, however, Carrie Payton plays him in Origins. Carrie Payton is uh, fucking, what's his name? Um, Calderon. Yeah. <laughs> he's, wow, wait, really? Yeah. <laughs> I was not paying attention for a second there, and you dropped some interesting information right there. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Carrie Payton is uh, probably better known as being Aqualad in Young Justice, and 
<laughs> probably even better known considering how gigantic of a fucking fi- uh, fan base. He's uh, King Ezekiel in The Walking Dead. Oh, okay. I've heard of that at least. Mm-hmm. So there you go, folks. Here is all of the Batman villains that you've already heard of. <laughs> yeah, we didn't get into any of the, the real the real weeds of the Batman villains. And we talked about it when we first decided to do this episode because we were just like, oh my god, we can't cover all the Batman. There's so many Batman villains. So many Batman villains. And this I was already wanted, a lot of Batman villains. <laughs> I definitely want to do an episode where we cover the weirder B-level Batman villains, but there was no way we could do that without first talking about the big guns. Yeah. I love me so some here Clock we go. King. Here, Clock King. Rat Catcher. Uh, my personal favorite, Killer Moth. He's not my favorite. He's just a great... His design is so good. <laughs> Anyways. A ragdoll. Mm. KG Beast. KG Beast is so dumb. Ooh, Maxi Zeus. <laughs> so many. We'll get to them. We're here every week. Yes, that's... Before we tell you about how so we're true. here every week, though. Do you have any recommendations for our friends and family here? Yeah, I I kind of wish that there's something else I kind of want to recommend now after going through all those villains, but I might just save it for next week because I originally came up with this recommendation when all I had was uh, morbid what I've been ingesting. <laughs> well, I mean, we're not talking about the happiest things in the world. It still probably fits. Ooh, Professor Pig. Well, no, because I wanted to. Ooh, I wanted to balance that out with something that is pretty much always guaranteed to make me happy, uh, and that's. And I've been doing. I kind of didn't want to do this too because I've also been doing a lot of music recommendations. But I'm going to do at least one more music, then I'll do comic next week. I think. All right. Um, the it's a tribute album from 1995 called Saturday Morning Cartoons Greatest Hits. It was put together by a producer, and it's uh, an entire album of the alternative scene at the time covering mostly 60s and 70s cartoon theme songs. That's amazing. Uh, examples are like... I love everything like, about that. Uh, Liz Fair covering the Tra La La song uh, from the Banana Splits. Uh, you have like Matthew Sweet covering uh, Scooby Doo, Where Are You? Uh, you got the Ramones cover with the Spider Man theme. You got Helmet doing Gigantor. All sorts of fun. Toadies doing the Ghoulie get together from the Groovy Ghoulies. Reverend Horton Heat on some Johnny Quest. Oh my god, yes. Uh, it's actually a medley of Johnny Quest and Stop That Pigeon which was uh, Dastardly and Muttley in their Flying Machines theme. but That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> uh, and then others as well. And it's an album that always brings a big smile to my face. It's slightly nostalgic. I didn't... It was, it was geared towards just a little bit older than me. It was like one of those albums that I didn't have an older brother, but all of my friends that had older siblings, like the cool ones had this or knew of it or was referenced 
back when he was still my roommate, Jesse brought it back into my life, and it hasn't left since. So that's so good. That's I'm gonna have to track that down. Uh, yeah, I, it's not up on like Spotify or anything, but I know that you can find YouTube playlists that just put together all the songs. Um, for me, I have a history of the Marvel Universe by Mark Wade and. Javier Rodriguez with Alvaro Lopez. It is a oversized book, which means that it is a it, it's a comic, but it is just larger. It's not your standard like eight by eleven, which is great because it is a gorgeous book, and it is very straightforward of what it is. That was a terrible sentence. I apologize. <laughs> At the end of time. Galactus tells Franklin Richards, who has become his herald and who is going to be Galactus in the next universe, the history of the Marvel Universe. And it starts with the creation of the Marvel Universe with the birth of Galactus and the creation of the Infinity Stones. And it covers pretty much every major moment in Marvel history. It might just be one panel for each thing, but it, you know, the Dark Phoenix saga, the the Mystery Men, the Twelve, uh, Captain America becoming a Nazi, Civil War, the death of Gwen Stacy, uh, the death of Captain Marvel, the West Coast Avengers, Excalibur, Quasar, the New Warriors. I mean, everything. And it the Great is Great Lakes Avengers. I'm sure they're in here somewhere. I haven't <laughs> finished reading it yet. It's good enough that you should read it anyways. Um, the Age of Apocalypse, the weird brief time that Black Widow dated Daredevil, Shanna mm. the Hara becoming Shanna the She-Devil and hanging out with Kazar, the death of Gwen Stacy. What, so, real quick, what what bad thing happened to Black Widow when she dated Daredevil? Because women who date Daredevil never have anything good happen to them. On the scale of things, nothing that bad. Okay. I think she gets kidnapped a couple of times. She's a little more damsel and distressy than she usually is. But it was actually a pretty good pairing because she was the only person that could ever really, like, stand up on Daredevil's level. Mm. Because God loved Karen Page, but she was not prepped for that life. Typhoid Mary was crazier in a sack of hammers. And I just don't like Elektra. I'm sorry. (laughs) The best Elektra story is where she dies. It's not a good thing, but it is what it is. Um, Black Widow was the one person that could stand up to him and challenge him. And I'm not surprised the relationship didn't last, but it works, which I did not expect. Hmm. Anyway, that was a little tangent, but I had to ask. Oh, of course. My brain just stopped. Recommend Recommendations are now done. How about you check us out? You know, beyond the checking us out that you're already doing by listening to this episode. Yeah, uh, check us out in the future by hitting subscribe, however you're listening to us right now. That would be awesome. Uh, Also, if you could rate and review us, however you're listening to us right now, that would be super duper awesome because the world is ran on algorithms and we would like to be in them more. Yes. You can also check out our other podcasts. Uh, you can listen to me at The Art of Wargaming with my friend Malark, where we talk about war and wargaming and translating war treatises into wargaming, which is a mouthful. Or you can listen to uh, uh, Tyler here at Fried Squirms with our friend Danny, where they talk about horror movies. 
Yeah, uh, the easiest way to get to any of those would be to go to the website earverm.com as we are all part of the Earverm Podcast Productions, whatever the fuck we're naming it. Uh, <laughs> the, the, the Earverm Network, that's worth that's Sorry right. guys, it's late, we're uh, getting tired. <laughs> E-A-R-V-V-Y-R-M.com By going there, you can check out all three of the shows, head to any of the websites, uh, for specifically this show, you can hit up generalnerdcast.com and contact us through the website or by emailing us uh, generalnerdrypod at gmail.com. You can also find us at social media on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter. Just look for General Nerdery. We're what pops up. Um, what are we doing next week? We are, we're going back to the TARDIS. That's right. Uh... All new doctor, though. Well, all, not all new. All new old for doctor, us. though. All old doctor. <laughs> we we'll haven't talked visiting, about him yet. <laughs> we'll be visiting the classic episodes, but we won't tell you what it is, because apparently we won't talk about this yet. Um, check in every Monday. I mean, I think we've technically come on on like Sunday at midnight, but check in every Monday. Every Monday. In the meantime, we're your generals of nurtery. I'm Zach. I'm Tyler. Dismissed. Dismissed.